Good morning and welcome. My name is George Bennett and I serve here at Harvest Decatur as an elder and a small group leader. After my last sermon back in July as part of our summer series on a new look at the Old Testament, Pastor Tony told me if I wanted more opportunities to preach, he would give them to me. I don't think any of us expected it would happen so soon. And I know none of us wanted my next sermon to come about because our three most prolific and gifted preachers contracted COVID. Others in our church have been infected recently as well, so before we get too far along, I would like to just pause to pray for them. Lord God Almighty, you are good. Even when circumstances do not seem to be good, you are good. Even when people close to us get sick, you are good. Even when natural disasters strike, you are good. Even when humanitarian disasters happen, you are good. Thank you for being as good to us as you have been. We think of Pastor Tony, Pastor Ryan, Paul Roberts, and the other members of our church family who are sick. We pray for your healing hand to be upon them today. We pray that Paul continues to respond to treatment and that you continue to clear his lungs so that his oxygen levels return to normal and he'll be able to go home soon from the hospital. We pray for Larray and the Roberts children to experience protection and restoration as well. We pray that Pastor Tony continues to regain his strength and we pray for healing and restoration in his household. We pray for Pastor Ryan's recovery to continue to completion. And we pray for the healing and protection of his household too. We pray for the other members of our church who have tested positive for COVID, that you will heal them and clear the infection from their bodies. And we pray for those around them to be protected against infection. Finally, we pray for those who are sick or injured with other ailments, that you will heal them quickly, completely, and without complication. As much as we pray for the physical health of our brothers and sisters, we pray that their spiritual health will abound in new and exciting ways, that they will learn things from you that they wouldn't be able to learn any other way that they will experience your presence to a degree they have never experienced before, that their witness will be more effective than it has ever been, that they will bear more and better spiritual fruit, and that they will become more like Christ. Lord, if you can use me to encourage them this morning, please do. I also pray for all my brothers and sisters and me that through the reading of your word this morning, you lift the veil from our faces so that we may behold a glimpse of your glory and be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. When it became apparent last week that I would likely be in the pulpit this morning, I started praying about what to preach about. I already had part of a sermon that I began writing last year and thought just about finishing it and using it. But the Holy Spirit showed me that the particular passage and points weren't the right message for this occasion. Instead, God kept 
bringing a different passage to my mind throughout the week, Philippians 3:17 through 21, and that's where we'll be today. I was tempted to title my message, An Old Look at the New Testament, because these, the themes in these verses are familiar ideas that are foundational to Christian living. I ultimately decided to title my message, Living a Gospel Life, and I intend to present three things Christians should do to live a gospel life. So if you have not already done so, please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. If you're relatively new to the Bible, Philippians is a short book that's about two-thirds of the way into the New Testament. It comes after the book of Ephesians and before the book of Colossians. Follow along with me as I read. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If you're taking notes, write this down as your first point. Three things Christians should do to live a gospel life. Number one, imitate. In verse 17, Paul uses a couple of first-person pronouns says me referring to himself. He says us referring not just to himself, but also his co-workers and possibly the other apostles. And he also talks about those who walk. So he's saying, imitate me and imitate those who imitate me. The verse echoes 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul wrote, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This statement on Paul's part is not boastful. Paul's not claiming to be perfect. He's not asking or commanding them to imitate him in every respect. Just earlier in chapter 3, he even said he's not perfect and that he's not sinless. But what he does have that they can imitate is a relentless pursuit of Christ-likeness. In verse 17, he also says, keep your eyes on. So we're supposed to look for examples to follow. And if we're going to keep our eyes on them, we need to be close to them. It implies proximity or nearness. It implies community. We need to be with these people. One of the best settings where you can imitate those who imitate Christ is in small group. And if you're not in a small group, I'd strongly encourage you to get in one. And if you're in a small group, look around at the other members of it and find what they have that you can imitate. How are they pursuing Christ likeness in ways you can follow? 
Now, part of imitating is also knowing what not to do, what not to follow. And Paul gives some examples in verses 18 and 19 of false teachers. We don't know exactly who these false teachers were or what they were teaching. But we know, according to Paul's words, that they were not walking in a way that glorifies God. Their walk did not match their talk. Now, perhaps these were teachers who were claiming confidence in the flesh. Uh, Earlier in chapter 3, Paul draws a contrast, uh, saying that he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, but then he goes on to say why those aren't really reasons at all for confidence. So maybe these teachers were putting confidence in fleshly accomplishments, fleshly achievements. We don't know. But we do know some things about them. We know their God is their belly. So that suggests appetite. It suggests instinct and craving and uh, satisfying those physical sorts of urges. So these Teachers are false because they do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it. And that reminds us that we can be right about what it is we're doing, but be wrong about the when or the how. I'm guilty of this more frequently than I'd like to admit at home. Uh, There are times when I might have a legitimate point to make, but the way I deliver it is with sarcasm. And the sarcasm hurts instead of helps. It cuts down instead of builds up. And it undermines whatever legitimacy the point was that I was trying to make. These false teachers glorying in their shame means they took pride in things they should really be ashamed of. And their minds were on earthly things. And you know, we are not immune from these false teachers in our day. Think of the pastor CEO who runs the church like a Fortune 500 company or ministry leaders who are more concerned with power and influence than purity and repentance. With minds on earthly things. The things that occupy our mind get reflected in the way we live. How we think governs how we act. Now, it's not wrong to care about earthly matters. It would be irresponsible not to attend to them at all, but it is wrong to idolize them or elevate them to a position of importance they don't deserve. And the difficulty is because the world is transient. Things come to an end. There's finite if you had any doubt about that the last month provided ample proof a month ago I was looking at a cell phone video with my sister-in-law and her nine-year-old son among a group of people trying to help put out a forest fire there are forest fires that ravage southern Europe northern Africa and the western United States 
We had flooding in Asia and Europe and in the U.S., sometimes not that far from where the fires were, but not close enough to help put them out. There was a devastating earthquake in Haiti. We have a new wave of COVID here in the U.S. I confess, back in July, I thought COVID was in our rearview mirror and we, it was fading into obscurity. But I was wrong, and here we are. And more recently, we've seen the tragic images from Afghanistan. And suddenly, we all felt like it was September 10th, 2001 again. I don't know if it's a human nature problem or an American problem, but I know we tend to have a resentment towards limitations. I resent the fact that I can't jump as high as I used to or can't stay awake as long as I used to, can't remember things like I used to, can't see small print the way I used to. And we have a desire for immediate solutions to our problems. Is there a pill I can take? Is there an operation I can have? Is there some quick fix? We're not really wired for protracted struggles. And we don't have a long enough historical memory to be able to uh, endure long trials. A lot of our neighbors, friends, have a misplaced confidence in progress. I used to have a coworker who described himself as a reckless optimist. I thought he was insane when he said that. Actually, I thought he was redundant, but I also thought he was insane because he had this confidence in progress that didn't seem warranted. So as Christians, we're not supposed to be optimists. We're supposed to have hope. Hope is different from optimism. Optimism is confidence in progress itself or you might even say faith in progress. Hope is different. Hope produces confidence because the source of the hope is not affected by disaster. Proverbs 4.18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We're supposed to imitate those who have hope rather than optimism. We're supposed to imitate those whose light is shining brighter and brighter. So how do we do that? Well, that brings me to my second point. So three things Christians should do to live a gospel life. One is imitate. Number two is appreciate. So imagine, if you will, you're a Philippian believer, member of the Philippian church, and you've gathered together to hear the reading of Paul's letter. And he gets to verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. The Greek word that Paul used for citizenship is politema, and it only occurs once in the entire New Testament. And it would have had special meaning to the Philippian believers. So a little history of Philippi is in order. 
The place was founded as a Greek settlement called Crenides in 359 BC with gold mining in the surrounding area. That attracted the attention of Philip II of Macedon, who conquered it in 356 BC and renamed it for himself. Now, if you don't recognize the name Philip II, you might recognize the name of his son, Alexander the Great. And Alexander used Philippi as a base of operations for several of his conquests. After the Battle of Pydna in 168 BC, the Romans annexed Philippi and kept it as a territory for well over the next century. Now, after Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was a struggle for control of the Roman Empire. Brutus and Cassius, the conspirators who assassinated Caesar, were uh, opposed to Mark Antony and Octavian. And they fought a battle at Philippi in 42 BC, which Antony and Octavian won. And as a reward for the men who served in the, under their forces, Octavian gave property to some of the veterans in Philippi and made Philippi a Roman colony. Now, as political alliances often do, they frayed to the point that Antony and Octavian became enemies. And in 31 BC, they fought a battle at Actium. And Octavian defeated Antony and Cleopatra there. And again, more colonists were sent to Philippi as, a reward, as part of a reward system. But more significantly, Octavian extended to Philippi what was called the Italic Rite. He extended Roman citizenship. So the colonists there enjoyed the same rights and privileges as if they were on Italian land. They were full Roman citizens, which meant, among other things, that they could vote. They were exempt from paying taxes, and they had certain legal protections. So they had the privileges and they also had loyalty to their capital or their headquarters. In the last few months, I've gotten a, a more of an insider perspective on this idea of citizenship and loyalty. As many of you know, our son Matthew is planning to enlist in the Navy and the job he wants to do there requires a certain security clearance. And back in the spring, the Navy asked Daria to write a letter about her own background and citizenship to help demonstrate that Matthew would not have any divided loyalties. And heavenly citizenship is like that too. We are not to have divided loyalties. There is no dual citizenship. In the words of Pastor Robbie Simons, we are heavenese. Any earthly citizenship we have is a distant second to the heavenly citizenship that God gives us. So we're citizens of heaven, and A.J. Conyers, in his book, The Eclipse of Heaven, says, heaven is God's created order in which love is realized and in which self-interest can be laid to rest. We know from the Bible that love is the exchange of one life for another. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love is you before me. We're supposed to live lives of love and selflessness. You know how in big cities there's often ethnic neighborhoods like Chinatown or Little Italy? Well, if I can say this without being sacrilegious, we're suppo- our churches are supposed to be heaven towns or little heavens here on earth. We're supposed to live as heavenese people, which means we do what heaven wants, when heaven wants it, and how heaven wants it done. Now, Conyers also says in his book, we can only see the light of heaven when we are not blinded by the light of pride. Recall the false teachers Paul spoke against in verses 18 and 19. They were taking pride in things they should have been ashamed of. Well, the antidote to pride is humility. And in order to humble ourselves, one thing we need to do is acknowledge and appreciate God as the source of all the good that we possess. A tremendous number of things happened to us when we got our citizenship in heaven. We were justified. We were regenerated. We're new creations. The Holy Spirit began living in us. We got a spiritual gift. We got a guardian angel. We were adopted into God's family as his children. There are so many things to be thankful for. But we don't just give thanks for what is and what's happened and what's been done. We give thanks for the things that haven't happened too. What we've been spared from, what we've been protected from. We need to see our circumstances from the perspective of heaven. The way Francis Schaeffer put it in his book, True Spirituality, is we need to live as if we've gone to heaven and come back. Augustine summarized the thought this way. No wisdom is true wisdom unless all that it decides with prudence, does with fortitude, disciplines with temperance, and distributes with justice is directed to that goal in which God is to be all in all in secure everlastingness and flawless peace. Flawless peace sounds pretty good. Now, the citizenship that Paul is writing about is not just a metaphor. It's a real thing. And in our summer sermon series, we frequently talked about Easter eggs, which were the little clues or messages in the Old Testament that refer to a reality, a deeper, better reality in the New Testament. There's actually an Easter egg for citizenship. And it's in Psalm 87. Psalm 87, 6 says, the Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. If you read the whole Psalm, you'll see that when the psalmist says the peoples, he's referring to Gentile nations. And when the psalmist says there, he's referring to Zion. 
So he's saying that God is registering the Gentiles as if they were born in Jerusalem, as if they were native-born Israelites. And he does the same thing with us and with the Philippian Gentiles. He registered them as if they were uh, as citizens of heaven. He registers us Gentiles as citizens of heaven. So we need to appreciate that we're citizens of heaven and act like it. Finally, the third thing Christians should do to live a gospel life is anticipate. Let's read verses 20b and 21 again. From heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The verb in the ESV is await. Other translations have look or eagerly await or eagerly wait for. The picture here is like somebody on their tiptoes or the edge of their seat waiting expectantly, longing for something to happen. I think about like a parade setting where people on the sidewalk are trying to see if the parade is coming yet and some are standing on their tiptoes to get a look above the crowd. Kids are leaning into the street to look down to see if the parade is coming. Or you think about a child on Christmas Eve who can't sleep and is just so enthusiastic about running uh, to the Christmas tree and ripping open presents. Or I think of Thanksgiving Day when I was growing up and throughout the day I'd smell the aromas from the kitchen of what my mom was cooking and just growing in anticipation of what this meal was going to be like or counting down the end of uh, school to summer vacation, how many days of school we had left. And these things that we anticipate in this life just pale in comparison to what we have to anticipate in our future as believers. Paul mentions a couple things here. He mentions the second coming of Christ. He mentions our resurrection The coach of my favorite football team likes to say our windshield is bigger than our rearview mirror. And I think as Christians, we need to have that attitude. What lies ahead of us is so much bigger than whatever is behind us. And we don't know when that day is going to come, but we know every day is one day closer. Today is one day closer than yesterday, and tomorrow will be one day closer than today. So that should give us a sense of urgency. We can offer citizenship in heaven to others. We should try to be expanding citizenship as much as possible. Like a child counting down days to her birthday or to Christmas and talking about what uh, she might expect to get we should be talking about what we're awaiting, what we're looking forward to, and why we're looking forward to it. 
In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer has a small creed that every Christian should be able to recite. And it goes like this. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day closer. Jesus Christ is my brother. And every Christian is my brother too. I'm gonna close with a couple of questions and an exhortation. When others hear what you say or see what you do or view what you post on social media, how you behave at work, do they recognize you as someone who imitates Christ followers? who appreciates heavenly citizenship and anticipates Christ's return? Can they tell you are heavenese? The first verse of chapter four in Philippians actually closes the section that we looked at. Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I'm going to try to stand firm and act like I'm heavenese this week. And I ask you, exhort you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for registering us as being born in Zion, as being citizens of heaven. Heaven is our home. We thank you for giving us godly examples to follow, and we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to represent heaven well while we're here on this earth. Help us to live lives of hope, love, humility, and gratitude. Help us to grow in our anticipation of eternity with you. We join with the evangelist in praying, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.